Let's lean into uh, to some things. Actually, I need to get something first. Hold on one second. normal Sunday morning. Um, okay, so let's, let's just say, friends, let's just say that you were standing right here on this ladder, and for safety purposes, let's just imagine that these are actual, like, climbable stairs instead of just supports. But let's say that somebody else was standing here. You both desire to reach the top of the ladder, but you're unwilling to get any closer to each other. What happens next? <laughs> get your own dang ladder. <laughs> nope, doesn't work that way. What, what happens next? The answer... <laughs> you could take turns, but that still moves you closer, doesn't it? A little bit from here to here. Yeah. The, the, I mean, as far as I can tell, the answer is nothing. Nothing happens. You stand here and, uh, and you say, I, I really want to get higher. I want to get to that top, but, I, I'm, but I'd like to do it without getting any closer to the person who's at arm's length away. And the answer is, well, you just can't. You just can't. Um, so hold on to that. We're talking about uh, Jesus for these weeks, all right? Um, and, and what we're doing right now is we're spending a few weeks specifically looking at the book of Matthew, and we're looking at uh, how Matthew depicts Jesus as the ultimate fulfillment of all of Israel's promises and hopes, but also the ultimate fulfillment of what God looks like and what life, the, the Jesus way, or the God of what God's way of life looks like. And so, so we're looking at this from a, a bunch of different angles, but when we talk about Jesus um, being the fulfillment. Right before this section that we're going to dive into today in Matthew 5, and we've been in this, this area, but Jesus makes a point. He says, listen, I'm about to, to offer you some teaching, but just remember, I didn't come to get rid of this, the law, because the Jewish people lived by the law, not just the Ten Commandments, but the hundreds of other ones that existed in, in the Torah. And so Jesus says, I, I haven't come to abolish this when I'm going to give you some new information. I've come to fulfill it. And so when we think of Jesus fulfilling... We don't just think of Jesus accomplishing the laws by being obedient to them correctly, which is true. That's one of the images that we get. Jesus uh, fulfills the law by being the only one. Israel could never quite get it right, and Jesus does. He perfectly fulfills the law, which was their covenant calling. And essentially, he makes everyone right because we have someone now that on our behalf met all of the requirements of the law. However, when Jesus talks about not abolishing but fulfilling, he's also saying, I'm going to give you some new teachings, and this does not mean to negate the first one. This means to help you understand what the first one was actually all about. Got it? So if I say to my sons, you know, like stop sitting on your brother's head, um, you know, the goal is not because sitting on your brother's head is the bad thing. I mean, it's, it's a bad thing. But it's because, like, your brother is going to get injured and we desire you to just be the types of people that, that don't actually think of 
Maybe I should sit on my brother's head right now. Um, but there's always something deeper. There's always a question beyond the question, an issue beyond the issue. And Jesus, in what he's about to do here, he takes a bunch of issues and he says, but I'm going to peel back the layers. And I'm going to help you understand what's at the core of this so that you can understand God's heart instead of relying on a rule. All right? So, um, so that's, what's, that's what's going on right now. Jesus helping us to f- fulfill God's ultimate law, which according to him is to love God and love our neighbors. And then fulfilling that means widening our definitions of a number of things rather than narrowing them. And so we open our Bibles to Matthew 5. And, uh, in, and, and so let me, let me set this up because the, the scripture that I'm going to put on, up on the screen in just a second is actually um, coming up beyond this. It's, it's the, the culmination of it. But uh, here we go. Okay, so... So what's happening is Jesus says, he, he does these things that are called the antitheses. He makes all these statements where he says, you've heard it said, but I'm going to say. All right. And we just unpacked what he's getting at with that. But he says, you've heard it said, to the, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who's angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, you idiot, more or less, uh, is answerable to the court. And anybody who says, you fool, will be, da- will be in danger of the fires of hell. So this, Jesus is taking something that has been used in one direction, and he's saying, actually, I'm going to tip this thing on its head a little bit. He says, therefore, if you are all offering your gift at the altar, and you remember that someone has something against you, all right, that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar first, Go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. If you're offering your gift at the altar and you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar, go and be reconciled to them. Then, then come and offer your gift. So here's what we've got going on. We have some, some concentric circles that Jesus is talking about. And at the tightest one, he uses murder. Okay? Murder is the ultimate severing of connection. All right? And so he says, you've heard this, that you're not supposed to do that. This is pretty self, like, this, this, is, this is basic. This is not a shock to you. But here's what I'm going to say. I'm going to actually say that, that there's something beyond this that is the root. And he talks about anger. And he talks about criticism. And he says, these are the kinds of things that are much more subtle, but they are the root of the same thing that murder actually is. The, the root meaning they sever a relationship almost the same way. They might, right? Someone is dead to me. So all of a sudden, anger and criticism creates this massive barrier in the same way. So Jesus is saying, just because it's not as visible... Just because it's not as visible doesn't mean that you're obeying the law and, and catching the heart of God. All right? So we start with something, something very measurable and something very intense. We go beyond it to ways that we act out certain emotions. Okay? And then, interestingly, even anger is not the deepest issue at work. Most times when people look at this passage, they say it's, just, it's about anger. So you preach a message on anger. And Lord knows we all need to like, hear reflections on the damage that anger can do and how we can transform that. 
But Jesus, I think, actually goes much beyond this, and he says that the biggest root, maybe, this thing's got to get a little darker. There we go. Um, The biggest root that's even beyond all of this is hinted at in his um, in his example. So he says, if you're, if you're criticized, you fool, you idiot, if that's what's in your heart, if anger is lurking in your heart, then, then it's as if you're murdering someone in, in your mind, right? And, and as far as Jesus cares, there's darkness in the heart that needs to be transformed. But he says, um, therefore, if you're offering your gift and you remember that somebody's got something against you at all, you should just stop what you're doing and you should address it. And so, so the, deepest, the deepest thing here that Jesus has been trying to get at all along is unreconciled relationships. All right? So Jesus is saying, anytime that there seems to be a disconnect, anytime that there seems to be a disconnect, we have a role to play. Anytime a relationship is severed. Yes, this is the most intense version, but we also get at it here. But really, the biggest key is that anytime that things are not right between people, it's going to do what? It's going to make it very difficult for you to effectively offer your sacrifice on the altar. What was a sacrifice that was offered on the altar? Well, people would travel to Jerusalem, and multiple times and in multiple ways, they would offer sacrifice for sins. It was the way of getting right with God. This was not just the once-a-year big temple um, high priest thing. This was something that any Jewish person could do. They could offer a goat or a bird or grain, and, and this was meant to make you symbolically right before God. All right, to restore relationship because you had damaged the law and this was what God required. So you're doing this thing to be okay with God, to feel the grace and the freedom and the forgiveness that God offers. And Jesus says, so you've heard, you know, you've heard about murder, great, but I'm telling you anytime there's not peace between you and somebody else and you have the power to do something about it, anytime that there's not shalom, wholeness, they need to be made whole between you and your neighbor so that you can experience wholeness between you and God. You cannot go vertical up here until you're willing to get closer right here. And so over and over, this imagery is, is um, Bethany's, by the way, because um, we were just talking yesterday and thought I had my message finished, and then she talked about this idea of a ladder and how you can't get closer until you get um, or you can't go higher up on a ladder unless you're willing to get closer to others, and that's what they're doing. And I was like, that's better than my message. Um, so, um, but so anyways, this idea that unless you close the distance between you and your sisters and your brothers, you will not be able to move into right relationship with God. Right relationships with others are absolutely necessary for right relationship with God. We cannot get past this. This is a big old basic thing that we sometimes call cruciform faith. Cruciform faith simply means this. It simply means, my goodness, why is everything dried out today? Um, Cruciform faith means that our faith has a vertical and a horizontal element to it, and both of them are interconnected. It means our faith is shaped like a cross. So Jesus, even the imagery of Jesus on the cross, stretching in a horizontal way, and in a vertical way, is something that the early church has always used as a reminder that our relationship with others are absolutely crucial and cannot be ignored in context with our relationship with God. You can't say, 
God and I are great, but my goodness, like, if you look at my relationships, there's just a whole bunch of idiots out there, and I have had it with them. Now, I know the whatabouts are about to, to come up, but, but just hold on for a second there. Um, so, so anyways, um, yeah, anyways, we, we have to, I want to pick out two more things, and then I want to talk about some of the practical elements, and then we're going to do um, something a little bit different as well. So uh, the first thing that I think is really important when we look at this specific passage is, um, is the, the idea of when he says, leave it there, leave your gift there in front of the altar. So when, when Jesus says, leave your gift in front of the altar, you know, like we might parallel that with like, you know how Paul talks about not taking communion in like an unrighteous manner when there's like something going on. And we can look at that and say, yeah, you know, like let me pause before I come forward. And let me just confess what I need to confess. And let me just make sure that my, my spirit is right with God. That's all well and good. But leaving your gift on the altar for a group of people that Jesus was preaching to in Galilee, which was 40 miles from the temple, and you didn't have, that's not a 40-minute drive, right? That's a multi-day journey. So what Jesus is saying is, listen, this might make you super uncomfortable, if, you're all, if you've made the trek all the way to Jerusalem, that's the only place you could offer sacrifices was at the temple. You've made the trip all the way to Jerusalem, and you get there, and as you're trying to move toward experiencing fullness of life with God, you realize that there are some like, things that have not been resolved, that need to be resolved between you and others. Jesus is like, hold up, turn around, walk 40 miles back to Galilee, apologize to your mother, and then walk back 40 miles, and then you can offer your gift. You, like, this is, this is meant to be very inconvenient. Everyone's like, seriously? But, like, I thought it was just between me and God. And Jesus says, no, no, it, you're never, it, you can try, but it won't work. It won't work. Your relationship with God will always be hindered if there are things that you can do that you have not yet done in relationship with others. Um, so, so I think that it's, it's crucial that we understand that being people of, of right-relatedness sometimes means even if it's inconvenient. Do you have grudges or judgments against others? Do others have judgments or grudges against us? It's going to limit our right relationship with God, so we have to address it or else it's just going to become a cancer within us that will poison us further. Um, and, and again, let's just admit right now that this is complicated and that your minds are like, well, but what about X, Y, and Z? And what about this person because it's not even possible and I've tried or whatever. We understand that. Like we, are, we live in a broken world with imperfect people of which we are primary in there. Um, and, and it is complicated. And this is not meant to be a law as much as a heart spirit, but we can't default to the heart spirit so much that we then just bypass the actual work that sometimes is needed for good relationships. Does that make sense? Because it's like, well, it's, it's, I, I just want to make sure my heart and spirit's right. Jesus is like, no, no, you might have to have a face-to-face conversation. And granted, this is absolutely different from the conversation, and we always need to say this, the conversation about um, abuse or re-entering damaging relationships um, or, or putting yourself in positions of where, where you will be harmed or mistreated, uh, or things that are outside of your control. You may have done things to say, hey, we had this falling out, or I said this thing, and um, I, I want to make it right. I want, you to let, I want to let you know I'm sorry. And that person might not be at a, 
uh, position to respond positively. But you do still have a responsibility to do what you can so that you are at peace as far as it depends on us, right? And this is, this is very difficult, um, but, it's, but it's what Jesus is talking about here. Um, you know, so, so someone comes to you and says, hey, I've got an issue that I, uh, I need to address with you. And our natural response is, <laughs> well, I got an issue I got to address with you too. So is this what we're doing now? Um, and, and our defenses go up pretty quickly. But the posture that comes with this humility that longs for things to be right between people, this is what Jesus is getting at when he starts with murder and ends with unreconciled relationships. Um, yeah. Um, it does mean, regardless of how you've been hurt, that we begin to see people beyond the hurt. Um, the way they've hurt us or the way that we've hurt them. It doesn't mean that trust gets restored. It doesn't mean that we open ourselves up to harm. But uh, I do find it's interesting in the second part of this passage um, that, uh, that Jesus says, um, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, instead of if you, if you have an issue with somebody, if you remember that somebody else has an issue with you, I don't know how specific and intentional Jesus is trying to be with language like that, um, but I think it's interesting. Maybe it means that we can't just write it off, write off other people. Well, that, they're overreacting, right? Um, you know, that wasn't my intent. And boom, you know, we just, we just say, oh, that's not what I meant. It's all good. And what we can possibly do is, is we can ignore the work that we may have to acknowledge harm and seek reconciliation, even if we do, sometimes don't understand fully how we may have harmed somebody or we don't even agree. It's fascinating if someone else has something against you. Uh, so it's not that difficult to see that Jesus is laying the foundation here of how damaging it can be in every single relationship when we are unrecon- unreconciled in our spirits. Um, one of the processes or the principles that I think Jesus is trying to help us understand is right relationships with others are necessary for right relationship with God. But also the second statement, Sean, can you help me there? Is that uh, unreconciled past relationships will always have an impact on future relationships. Maybe it's good that this is in the way. I was going to move it. Um, maybe it's good. Like, un- unreconciled past relationships, we need to understand. Like, Jesus is talking about the importance of being able to be at peace with one another in all relationships. He's always enlarging it, right? So, to be really honest, you know, your anger against your dad or your ex-spouse or your former neighbor is going to limit the type of relationships that you can have with authority figures or your current spouse or your neighbors. And obviously, that includes God and as central as well. So we need to acknowledge the importance that Jesus is saying, listen, we are holistic beings, friends. We are holistic beings, and you're not going to be able to just disconnect all of the relationships that you have from your relationship with God. These things are, are so, so paramount together that when Jesus was asked what the greatest command is, he said it's two. He said you can't disconnect them. It's loving God with all you have, and it's learning to love your neighbor. And so you must hold these two things together. So, um, so what is reconciliation in the way that Jesus talked about it? What does it look like in our world today? Well, there's two elements that we're going to mention. And um, the first one is very simple, and we've kind of been talking about it. It's, very, it's personal. There's a personal element. Reconciliation looks like face-to-face work to make things right. right? Having humble conversations, truly apologizing when we've uh, done something wrong. Hey, can I give a hot take here that, I, that might be wrong? It's super dangerous to say that um, when you're in this position because people are happy to agree with you. Um, but 
I've been thinking about this for a few months, and I think we need to be careful when we talk about when we've done wrong or harm and we want to make things right. I think we need to be very careful about how front and center asking for forgiveness is. Stick with me here. I might be wrong. Like two or three of you have heard me talk about this because I've been mulling on it now for three months. But, but sometimes when we feel like we've hurt somebody, we come and we say, I need you to forgive me, Matt, for what I said to you. And, and the focus there is me feeling better about myself, not restoring the harm that was done. So in right relationships, what Matt might need to hear after I kicked his dog is, I didn't kick your dog. Do you have a dog? You don't. Good, good. That would be a super bad example. In the story, yes. Okay, thank you. We are suspending our disbelief for a moment um, and imagining Matt as a dog owner. Hard for some of us to do. Uh, so, so I apologize to Matt, but instead of saying, so, so what Matt needs to hear from me is, yo, I, I did harm to you, your family, whatever. And, and I, I acknowledge that that was, that was messed up. And I want to know how I can make it right. And then maybe a distant third is, and, and I really long for our relationship to be restored, but what I'm leaning, leading with is I've done harm, and I want to restore the harm that's been done. I want to restore health to that relationship. If I say, please forgive me, then, then all of a sudden the one who has been wronged is the one who has this decision that they might not be ready for, and I'm putting the power, I'm, I'm, foc- I'm forcing them to have to come my way. Instead of allowing for that space, and if I am remorseful, then obviously the desire is moderately clear to say, you know, I, I long for you to, to um, understand my heart and hopefully move toward being able to, to be in right relationship with me again for forgiveness. But maybe we need to be real careful that I, I'm asking for you to forgive me right away versus I'm acknowledging the pain I caused you might be the first and more important step in real reconciliation. I might be wrong about all that, but it's something that we need to think about. I do not, by the way, think that it's wrong to ask for forgiveness. I just think that we need to be really aware of what we lead with and who's, who it's centered on. Because that's often centered on me feeling better. Okay, sorry. That was a little bit of a uh, diatribe there, but I think it's important that we think about it. So that's, that's what this looks like in a personal way. Um, so I, I'll just ask you right now, not to respond, but in your own spirit. What is, what is God stirring in you? What's coming to mind that you don't want to pay attention to? What's the thing, the person, that immediately you're thinking about that you wish you weren't thinking about when we're talking about this stuff? Maybe God is moving you towards something like that. And if the only thing that you hear is defenses, well, I can't, I can't, I can't. Like, maybe, maybe there's something that you can do. And we trust the spirit to hold that balance between, well, this person is completely toxic in my life. That's not really what we're talking about. Okay. But maybe there's something that God's stirring there. So there's this personal element to it. But there's something bigger. There's something bigger. Um, and, uh, and, and that is that though the gospel is personal, it's not just personal. And it's certainly not private. Throughout the scriptures, we see that there's always this communal element of being God's people. Um, I think one of the uh, really interesting passages that illuminates this, um, I'm, I'm disconnected again. Can you put the Joshua 6 passage up? Uh, is, uh, or I'm sorry, Jeremiah. Um, Jeremiah is communicating to his people about what some of those in power have been doing in the midst of a, of a time of, of 
of deep grief. They've been exploiting people. And so he's talking about some of the priests and some of the others that are holding power. And he said, they dress the wound of my people as though it were not serious. So in other words, people are hurting. And, and these folks are saying, ah, whatever. I mean, I guess. But peace, peace, they say, when there is no peace. So there's, there's a false peace being proclaimed over and over, over and over in Isaiah. We are told that God declares that the worship that his people are bringing is meaningless when they aren't doing the work of justice and compassion at the same time. He's like, your worship, it doesn't even make sense. You're crying out to me as if you believe me and what I'm about, and yet you're ignoring my calling to the weak and the poor, and you're exploiting people. And there's people going hungry around you. And you're being violent to people, and at the same time, you're crying out to me as if I'm going to hear you. It's very intense language that God uses through the prophet Isaiah. Um, so, so it certainly makes sense that when Jesus talks about these things, we look at it from a personal level, but also from a communal level. And we start saying, you know what, where are there unreconciled relationships between us, the body of Christ, and our world? And, and what role do we have to play? Um, so, so what are the areas that we need to keep moving toward right relationships so that our connection with God can be free and full of integrity and our connection with others can be? So where are we acknowledging harm that's been done so that we can live out this kind of horizontal and vertical relationship? Uh, I think one very tangible application that we've been working through um, for months as a church is to be very intentional to become people of racial justice and reconciliation. Uh, a few months ago, we chose to adopt... Uh, some priorities as a church after we had um, a task force assigned to say, how can we grow and do better as a church um, that is um, predominantly white culture, but wants to continue to, um, to hold that with open hands and continue to not let that damage the potential for incredible growth and life and healing through our church. And so we we, uh, as a church, agreed to these commitments that move from recommendations to commitments in the spring. We will foster, encourage, and maintain conversations on race. That's one of the big ones. We just want to not hide from these things because there's a disconnect in our world that needs to be addressed. That we'll talk about statements that might be a hindrance to cultivating meaningful conversations and that we'll be intentional and creative about incorporating uh, racial equity and justice into our leadership, our operations, our community, and our work. Uh, so one of the things that we did with this a few months ago was that we, uh, we opened uh, the door for, I think it ended up being like 10 weeks, 11 weeks, um, to do a study uh, of a book called Be the Bridge by Latasha Morrison. And, um, and come on up, Sean and Amanda. And Sean and Amanda were a part of that. And uh, so what we decided to do, and it was led by Yvonne Bradley, who did such a wonderful job. She came in as a guest, uh, a guest facilitator for us. And... Uh, We'll be three and five, Sean. Um, and just did a fabulous job with helping us explore the, the realities of what it means to be a church and to be a people that acknowledge the harm done um, over the years uh, in terms of, of racial inequality and be hopefully a part of the, the healing. So I'm just going to ask the two of you, since you were uh, participants in this, uh, a few questions. So we'll start with kind of the things that impacted you, and then we'll move toward what is the implications for our community. So um, as you think about this, uh, this study with both Yvonne's leadership and, uh, and Latasha's um, content, what, uh, what impacted you during the study? What did you, you learn? I mean, we 
learned quite a lot, and to try to sum up everything <laughs> is, uh, would be a bit of a challenge. Unfair, be yes. Here a long time. Agreed. <laughs> um, but two of the things that uh, really have stuck with me um, is that one of the one of the things we talk about racism being systemic, um, but looking at the history of our country um, and the ways in which our country, the administrative and political systems have been constructed with racial inequality integrated into them was really eye-opening. Mm. Um, because, yeah, just all through for hundreds of years, there have been these systems of um, the ways in which our country operates to this day um, where it's, it's just part of, part of how things work. Yeah. <laughs> um, and the other thing that um, has stuck out to me is that, um, so I'm, it, I, I can't lie, it's a, I'm a bit uncomfortable talking about racism and racial inequality up here as a white man talking to another white man, yep. and all, all of us up here are white. Um, but one of the things that I took away is that part of my responsibility in addressing racial inequality is to initiate these conversations with other white people. Um, and yeah, to, to have these conversations because they're, they are hard, they are uncomfortable, and that shouldn't just be on the shoulders of people of color hmm. to initiate these conversations because that's something they have to do, every, yeah. like deal with every day. Yeah. Yeah. Amanda, how about you? <coughs> A lot of things, like Sean said. <laughs> Um, I think just to add on to what Sean, you were just saying is that the facilitator for the group, one thing that she kept bringing up is that we will be, as white folks, will be in spaces that she is not. We'll be around people, family, um, and get to have conversations that she would not get to be a part of. And that mm -hmm. really struck me and why it's so important um, to be prepared and able to have conversations. Um, so I just want to add um, on to that because I know that's something we um, talked about. But I think one thing that struck me is how much I didn't know. Um, and it was humbling to sit and learn and listen and hear stories, like Sean said, from you know further in the past, but also recent um, history that often get pushed to the side and are intentionally right, left out of the conversation. Mm. Um, a second thing, as a social worker that I have to bring into the conversation today, she talked a lot about how guilt and shame are a big piece of what keeps us from moving forward in this conversation. Um, and I just wanted to read a short quote. She said, when we give in to the feelings of guilt and shame, we don't address the truth. And I would add, we can't hear the truth. Mm -hmm. And without truth-informed perspective, we'll never build bridges of racial reconciliation. Hmm. Yeah, thanks, Amanda. So if we consider specifically the realities of racial inequality and racial justice and, and what our, our heartbeat is as, as a church and just maybe the body of Christ overall, which is very kind of culturally broken down often, um, what what do you, what might it look like? What might it mean to like leave gifts on the altar? <laughs> what are steps to go and be reconciled? What what might that look like? Have any ideas? You know, in in light of this context and this passage. 
Um, yes. <laughs> um, I think so. I'm going to focus more on an individual level. Um, I think it starts with what Latasha talks about at the beginning of the book is that we have to start with the posture of humility, um, which is something that you were talking about too. And I think a deep breath and starting this work, which is simple but not easy, of unlearning and relearning. Um, and just being able to hear different perspectives. And like you were talking about, Keith, I think if someone comes to you and is vulnerable and brave enough to say, you hurt me in this way, your words had this impact, to not gaslight, right? Mm -hmm. And to not be dismissive and to be able to say, I believe you and I'm sorry that my impact and my intention did not match. Mm -hmm. um, hard stop. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Which is really hard to do. But I didn't mean it that right. way. We don't need to keep pushing that. Right. Most people will be able right. to see that. What we need to lean into is that that yeah. impact. Hmm. And then asking, what do we need to do or what do I need to do to make this right? Right. Like you mm -hmm. were saying, to mm -hmm. become back in right relationship um, with that person. Um, I think another thing is to call out when we see something happening and to be disruptors of, um, in small ways, right? I think it's easy to feel like it's so big. Like, what does this even look like? Um, and I know Lori has a great story about that and I'll let you ask her. Um, but just noticing around you what's happening and the small, um, you know, microaggressions or small injustices that are happening and how we can step in and say that's not okay. Mm -hmm. um, and just start to build the trust back. I thought it was fascinating that in, in, the, in the book, in the text, um, one of the, the realities she said was that when, and Latasha's a black woman, and she said when, when she talks with people, she can tell that they're often trying to figure out what kind of a black woman she is, so they can know if she's like a part of their culture and can pass in that culture, or if she's like an outsider to their culture. And, and just that, that even the, that basic knowledge is something that I think before in, in years past, I'm not sure I would have been able to identify that I might do the same thing sometimes with people from a different cultural background. Well, are you, are you like whitish or white Americanish enough for, for me to treat you like a brother or sister or are you an other? Um, and I would never have admitted that, but, but until hearing more stories about how people understand um, and experience the world around them when they're when other people are required constantly to come toward the way of the majority culture, to to participate in it, and and we aren't required to participate in minority cultures, and then all of a sudden we just forget how how much we require of other people and how damaging and small statements might diminish their their personhood um, and their dignity. Good, yeah, I, I was struck by that as well. Yeah, and to address this more collectively um i so when you asked last week about uh us saying something about racial inequality in the context of this passage of leave your gifts at the altar and this this relational uh rift um i realized i had never heard the church talk about racial injustice in this context or with this passage and I think that is a really good illustration of the problem. Hmm. Um, 
because if you actually do a bunch of research in those who are working toward racial equality from, from, you know, from a, a culture of, of people of color, this is paramount, this passage, as I learned this week. So we've never, many of us have never heard it in that context, but it's incredibly common in its usage um, to people who look through life through a lens of seeing the realities of racial inequality. Yeah, and all I can, so like as you were talking about this this week and you, as you were talking this morning, like all I can picture is like God sitting behind the altar watching the church, you know, bring gifts to the altar, like, you know, every Sunday morning, you know, showing up at church and God just sitting there saying, you missed the whole point. Like, mm. the whole point is restored relationships and right relationships with other people and then also with God yeah, and not just ignoring all of the, you know, the broken um, relationships and collective relationships that the church has um, created along the way mm. um, and then just showing up at church like, Nothing's happened. Yeah. And I wonder if, a, if our comfort is a part of that, right? Like giving up our, like one of the things that we leave is, is our comfort of just doing things, kind of walking down this road of like, yeah, we come in and we, and we sing and we worship, like versus like we need to pause sometime. And I, I think one of the interesting things that emerged is, you know, if you participate in our common prayer, you know, we made a, a change a few weeks slash months ago to add lament. It used to be, Lord, we thank you and Lord, we ask. And then we added lament, and that was because of this study that we realized that one of the things that we were missing out on was acknowledging with lament the areas that we fall short and the damage that has been caused um, by the church in areas of racial equality, but in all sorts of areas. And so even learning that, lament is uncomfortable, you know, and, and so saying, we're not just going to kind of go and be happy clappy when what we need to do is be acknowledging that there's a long way to go sometimes. And that doesn't negate the experience of grace and joy. It just is alongside it. Yeah. All right, well, so, so last, last question here. How do we as a church uh, need to continue this conversation? What does it look like to move forward um, as people who reflect the heart that Jesus is talking about here? Any thoughts and encouragements for us? Because that's the key question. <laughs> I mean, I think... As I had already said, I think on an individual level, um, having initiating these conversations with other people who, with other white people who can and often do, you know, we build our lives around like insulated from daily uh, effects of racism. Like we can, being able to ignore it is a luxury. Um, mm. And so wading into uncomfortable <laughs> conversations yeah. like this. And like you were talking last week about be seen or don't be seen. And yeah, this is <laughs> Sean comes up to me like, I think I have to say yes to your request <laughs> to share because of this message is the public, letting our light shine in yep. public. <coughs> yep, it was, my, it was my uncomfortable step to be seen. <laughs> um, but I think on an individual level, um, th this is the sort of thing that we need to be doing. Um, and... I don't know, collectively is really hard. Um, I, I think it, it is a good, um, a good example of a collective response was when Pope Francis visited um, the, the native people in Canada hmm. to acknowledge and 
and apologize repent, for yeah. Yeah, yeah and repent for um, the the church's involvement in the the schools and the um, the atrocities there and the oppression there. Yeah. Um, and I don't know exactly what that looks like in the context of you know our church um, or the American church. Um, to address uh, racial inequality. Um, but I do think we need to be taking collective action like that. Um, and what's so, I mean, if I'm going to sum that up, then simply one step, acknowledging the harm. Yes, yeah. yes. So the, the two things that we, that we mentioned and we talked a lot about were acknowledgement and lament. Yeah, right. Um, yeah. Kind of like your, um, you included in your uh, illustration of kicking the dog. Um, yeah, there you go. Okay, we got it right maybe once. <laughs> yeah, huh. but but huh. there, yeah. there's acknowledgement of, of harm done mm-hmm. um, and lament that that harm was caused. Yeah. And, you know, a solution can't be implemented and nothing can be solved until those those mm. two qualities are, yeah. are met. Mm-hmm. Amanda, anything you want to add? Um, so I think adding on to what you were saying, Latasha, you know, brought in that in Western society, we're highly individualized, which, you know, we know and talk about, but I, what she kind of brought into that is how our measure of morality is also based on individual guilt or innocence, which is where that can lead to the Mm. justification and not taking accountability for the past and present um, you know, racial injustice and all mm. of the atrocities that, you know, we have committed as a whole within our nation. Um, and I think, like Sean was just saying, I think it starts with that acknowledgement of the harm. Um, and I don't also don't know, I don't know what that looks like on a bigger level, because I think our nation's not quite there. Right. Um, and so maybe bringing it down to like life path and some things that we can continue to do are amplifying voices um, of people of color, joining the fight and supporting the people who have been doing this hard work for a long time and not trying to come in and fix it and try to you know save the day. Hmm. Um, like I think we often do and there's so many wonderful people doing this work already and I was just, um, I just learned about a woman Trisha Hersey, who started the NAP ministry, and she talks about how rest is resistance. I encourage (laughs) you to look it up. I heard her on a podcast, and I think it's really fascinating, and I want to learn more. But just finding ways that we can, again, just start to disrupt and disrupt the pattern, right, and be different, um, and also bringing in um, Yvonne, who led the um, book study, she made a list of books and resources and um, I think even videos of mm. ways to start learning and, um, you know, even just other authors, right? Like how diverse is our library here? Like yeah. are there, you know, voices of, um, mm. of people of color? And um, I think just being a model for others, right? The fact that, like Sean said, I think it, the church should be one of the biggest voices fighting for racial equality, um, and I, we're not. <laughs> um, 
So I think another thing is how do we make our church a safe space um, for other people and welcoming um, diversity and racial diversity, but you know all kinds of all kinds of diversity yeah. and celebrating those differences um, instead of like you've often talked about, right? Like we all have to fit in this box, and if you don't, um, then you're not really welcome here. Mm. Um, yeah, I think that's and and I think you had mentioned just the the past of acknowledging the the systems and stuff both of you mentioned that and I think as we think about this passage I think it's really interesting because it starts with this clear and rare crime right and um and Jesus is saying but this kind of stuff can take place in all sorts of subtle ways that need addressing because they can be every bit as damaging so so I think it's easy for us and we've talked about this a little before to look at the the clear crime and say hold on I'm not like that's the classic the classic non-starter I'm not racist you know, ends a conversation instead of saying, are there subtle and damaging systems that we participate in that we've not even learned about? Um, and, and then how can we both acknowledge that and, um, and say we're going to change and based on, on what we see in those systems, at least in our community and in the way we relate in the world. And hopefully that becomes a light <laughs> that, that, you know, helps, helps be a hope and, uh, and a little glimpse of the kingdom of God right here as best we can more and more so and we've talked we've talked about that um as well and i think what you were saying earlier struck me that you know we just want to be nice but i think what you're talking about like compassion when you think about what it takes to be a compassionate person and to be able to understand others perspective like compassion costs something Mm -hmm. and we Mm -hmm. don't want it to right like we don't want to walk 40 miles to go make a relationship right and we want something that's easy and unfortunately it's it's not and it costs and not always you know we think of cost as monetary but being uncomfortable yeah um or you know different things and it might be uncomfortable to ask like Mm -hmm. friends who have been a part of systems and have been really wounded by the church and things like that to say hey what might our blind spots be um, and what, what does it look like? What's a responsibility for a church like LifePath uh, with our heart and desire? What, is, what do we need to be very aware of that we might not even be able to see? And that's very uncomfortable, yeah. you know. Um, but uh, hopefully leads us toward, toward life and right relationships as we move forward. So. Thanks to both of you for the time and for your reflective spirits and for coming up here. You're not up here very often. And I, I fully acknowledge that that requires something. <clears throat> Um, so, uh, to, like, what Jesus does here, just to kind of close out our time, um, he reminds us that none of us are exempt from teachings like this, right? And when we move toward having a constant posture of reconciliation, both personally and communally as a people, it will lead to healthy relationships with each other and our outside world, which will then lead to an absolute different level of freedom in our connection with God. It's that simple. Um, And we should probably, now it's that simple, but we should probably acknowledge that every time we dive into the Sermon on the Mount, it is so difficult. So it's simple, but it is incredibly difficult to follow effectively. We're talking about things that I don't have a grasp on, you know, like two-thirds of that circle. And so, so this is really, really, really hard, and these challenges are too big, and Jesus brings so much to the surface and says, you've got to go beyond the external rules, and you've got to go into this deep journey of being people of reconcil- reconciliation of the heart. 
you know, not even you idiot is, is a helpful posture for in, in your spirit, you know, not harboring anger. He goes on and talks about seeing lust as an adultery in spirit. And like this stuff can be almost so hard that we just want to hit the forget it button or what we might call the F it button um, and say, no, I give up. And that's why we trust the spirit. We trust the spirit that it's not actually about the law. It is about an internal transformation, but it always expresses itself externally um, and leads us to lives characterized by a pure heart and a renewed mind in Christ. God be with us on that, yeah? Amen.